there as a woman of uh, real faith, but I know you've had an awful lot to overcome in your life, particularly in your early life. Um, what was life like for you in those earlier years? Uh, interesting. Um, I'm the youngest of uh, four girls, um, and even though I'm 50 next year, they still call me the baby. It will ever be thus, I am assured. Um, my parents are Irish, so I'm the daughter of Irish Im immigrants, and uh, my mum's name's Mary and my dad's name's Joseph, uh, so I had a good start. Um, and my parents emigrated to um, England at a time where there were still signs outside the bed and breakfast saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. So they came to uh, a, a bit of a divided Birmingham in a way. But we came to Moseley and I was born in the Sorrento Hospital in Moseley. So I'm a Moseleyite through and through. I've defected to Bourneville, don't tell them. Um, and I lived uh, with uh, my mum and, and uh, my sisters uh, in Moseley in uh, various one-room, two-room flats. We were not rich, my dad. Uh, who is safely home with Jesus now, um, had a gambling addiction and was an alcoholic uh, and had a bit of a temper in the drink, as the Irish would say. My parents divorced when I was six, and then when I was ten, I went to live with my dad and my stepmom uh, back in Ireland. And um, I got sent to a convent school where the nuns taught me about a God who was all-seeing and all-knowing, and all punishing, that if something bad happened to you, uh, it was God punishing you for something that you'd done. So when two friends of the family, a husband and wife team, started sexually abusing me, I saw this as a punishment from God. I couldn't work out what I could have done up to the age of 11 to warrant such punishment, but that's what I believed. Uh, I, uh, at the age of 12, came back to live in Birmingham with my mum and my sisters um, and tried to keep going with this God thing, the Catholicism that I'd learned. But as the effects of the abuse kicked in throughout my teenage years, as the shame and the self-hatred and drinking and taking drugs and sleeping around and just all of the damage that had happened worked its way out in my life, I just thought, well, I can't believe in a God that would do this to a child. I can't believe that, that somebody, that's not somebody I want in my life, this mean, horrible God. Um, my, the, the people who had abused me told me that it was their special way of showing me that they loved me. So that wrong link between sex and love stayed until God broke it. So I started sleeping around, I started looking for love in all the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And I started sleeping around and getting into some pretty awful relationships, some abusive relationships. And um, my family moved me to London. They're a formidable force, my lot. Um, they moved me to London to get me away from uh, one of these unsuitable relationships. And um, so I was living in King's Cross in a, a Victorian nurse's residence and working in the NHS under Maggie Thatcher. And it was just a really rough time, really. But I, there was a lady there called Debbie, and she was working in the NHS and living in this dreadful place in King's Cross, the same as B. But she just wafted around the place. 
looking so peaceful and so happy and so full of joy. I can remember thinking, I'd like to know who her dealer is because the drugs my dealer gives me don't do that for me. <laughs> and I asked her one day, I was like, what's this? How do you stay so, you know, how are you so nice and peaceful and happy? And she was like, oh, it's Jesus. I just know that God loves me and it's just, Jesus just gives me joy. I was like, no, don't talk to me about that. God is mean and horrible and controlling and punishing, and how could he possibly give you joy? She was horrified. <laughs> That's not the God that I know. Let me tell you about the God that I know. And she told me uh, about the God that I know now, who loves me, who, who knows everything I've done, who knows all the relationships I've been in, who knows all the mad, bad, and stupid stuff I've done, and still loves me. Uh, she told me about Jesus, how he died on the cross so that I could be in relationship with this amazing God who loved me. And uh, the day after my... We talked a few more times. It wasn't just one conversation. I, we kept going back, kept knocking on the door and going, I need to ask you more questions. And the day after my 21st birthday, I just said to her, I want what you've got. I want this, this peace that you have. And uh, she gave her friend a call. Who I, he was a, a Christian friend of hers who I'd been dating. She gave him a call and they came in and they led me uh, in the, I've heard it called the salvation prayer, the sinner's prayer, the believer's prayer. Just the prayer that says, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for all the things I did that weren't your best Please forgive me and come and be part of my life. And it was just such a simple prayer to pray. And the next day they took me to uh, a church in Holborn in London and I made the rookie error when they go, is anybody here for the first time? I'm going, me! And they kind of just gathered around me and, uh, and put hands on me without asking first. So, and that was really, I found that really, really weird that people would just come and, and touch without asking and then they were praying in languages that weren't English. Now, I did French and Spanish at school, but this wasn't anything like that. And I didn't know what they were saying, and I was a bit freaked out by it, to be honest. But I can remember sitting there and saying, God, I really want to believe you. I really want this to be real. I really want to believe what they believe. I really want to know what they know. But I'm a bit of a doubting Thomas, and I think I need a sign. And suddenly from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. It was like electricity was going through me. Every nerve ending came alive. And I was filled with the absolute knowledge that God is. He's not a fairy story or a sky pixie or a crutch for the broken. He is real. God is. He absolutely is. And then that was filled with just... Just love. I can just, that's all it just felt like I was just had love being poured into me and washing through me. And I just I doubled over and burst into floods of tears and said, Why didn't I do this before? Um, unfortunately, two weeks later, uh, that nice Christian chap that I'd been dating headbutted me and broke my nose uh, on a night out when he was high on cocaine. Now he has his own issues and I continue to pray for him. I don't know where he is or what he's doing, but I really hope that God is still with him and still has his hand on him. But that left me knowing that God was real. 
but believing the lie that he didn't want me. So what changed um, to give you the faith that I know that you have, the living faith that you have in Jesus today? How did God find you in terms of that real salvation and knowing that he did love and accept you and want to, to use you as he is doing right now? Um, it, was a four, it was 14 years after that. I, um, I just went, I went back to the old behavior, to drinking and taking drugs and sleeping around and my mental health really started to suffer. Twenties uh, were not fun. Um, and at the age of 28, I, um, I had a complete and total nervous breakdown and ended up being locked up in a psychiatric institution uh, where I heard voices and saw visions of the devil and learned to cut my skin. Um, and just had three and a half years of a, a total hell. I can't describe it in any other way. Um, but I had counseling as well and um, lots of medication and managed to return to some semblance of normal or at least on the face of it to look normal. So when they said, are you hearing voices? No. Do you want to hurt yourself? No. And they let me out. And I'd been in and out a few times, so they, they, they'd let me out, and I'd go great for a little while and then fall over again or try to kill myself again and wake up in intensive care going, when am I going to get this right? How am I so rubbish at this suicide thing? And then they, you know, they, direct, they transfer you directly from intensive care straight back to the nut house, and then you go spend a bit of time in there, and you get better when you go back out. And it just, it was, that was three and a half years. But they eventually got discharged, and I came back to Birmingham. And... Uh, Got a job at uh, one of the top accountancy firms, bought my first flat, and to anybody looking in from the outside, was a successful single girl about town. And then I had surgery that left me unable to have children. Now, I'd been fighting a battle with fertility since I was 17. I lost my left ovary when I was 17 and was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries, and that's when your ovaries don't give eggs, they grow cysts instead. And I'd had several operations and loads of drugs over the years to try and keep my ability to conceive and carry my own children. But I had surgery at the age of 33 that meant that that was no longer going to be a possibility. Now, I get emotional here at the remembered pain of it because I just remember how devastated I was. And the grief of it just sent me spiraling back down again. Uh, and I ended up in a different psychiatric institution in Birmingham this time. Um, I lost my job, I lost my home, I lost any semblance of life that I built up. Uh, and two and a half years later, sitting on my sofa, just not wanting to be there. Like, uh, <laughs> it hurt to breathe, it hurt to live, it hurt to exist. I, I used to wake up in the morning in tears. Why am I still here? Why am I still alive? Life is so horrible and so painful. Why didn't you take me? If you're such a blooming good God, then why haven't you just taken me? Why are you leaving me here and punishing me? 
are being diagnosed with anxiety, depression, fibromyalgia, Crohn's disease, IBS, just, and lots of, they, they traveled through lots of different diagnoses before they got to those. Uh, I was hooked on cannabis, smoking that, self-medicating, drinking, um, and I was surfing up through the television, um, just surfing up through the channels, just trying to find something to shut up the voices in my head. And I came across a lady speaking about depression and abuse. I thought, oh, watch this. I might learn something. And then she mentioned God. I was like, no, 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 I don't like him. He doesn't like me, this we know. And I raised the remote control to change channel. Uh, when Joyce Meyer and God TV turned around and pointed down the camera and said, if you've just found me by channel surfing, stay put, because God wants you to hear this. <laughs> I did literally drop the remote control, and I think there was enough of a Catholic in me to go, I'm not moving. <laughs> so I stayed put, uh, and I listened, and... She told me about the same God that Debbie had told me about 14 years previously. God who loved me. He knew everything I'd done and everything I was going to do and still loved me. Of Jesus who died for me. Of God who wanted to be in a relationship with me. And I tuned in every night for five nights. And she gave her testimony. And if you haven't heard her story, can I encourage you to find it? It's a bit mind-blowing. And other women gave, uh, gave their stories as well. And she just kept saying, if you let God's love in, it's that behold, I stand at the door and knock, isn't it? If you let God's love in, it will heal you and transform you and restore you. So on the, on the fifth night, Friday 29th of July, 2005, she gave what I now know is called an altar call. And she just said, if you want to do this, then can I invite you to get to your knees? So I knelt in front of my television, snotty, soaked in tears, and just prayed that prayer again. And just, God, I'm sorry for all the things that I've done that weren't your best for me. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And please come and take over my life. Come into my life. And, uh, and it felt, I woke up the next day and I didn't cry. <laughs> and I, there was just something starting to uncurl in here, just that seed of hope, that seed of possibility. And uh, within three months, I was back at work for a Christian organization. <laughs> I'd gone into the New Deal for Disabled People place. I would been so severely mentally ill that they told me I would never work again and I was severely disabled and just, this is your life now. This is not for people who had your experiences. This is all you can expect. So to go in and sort of say, I said I'd like a, an admin job, I'd like it to be, you know, resonating outside the walls of the and we opened the evening mail, Thursday evening mail, for those of you who are old enough to remember, was the jobs pages, uh, and there was a job for an admin assistant at St. Martin's Centre for Health and Healing, and um, I went and got that job, and I was really honest with them about where I'd been for two and a half years, I just said, I got sick, and, um, and they were fantastic about it, and um, they took a chance on me. And uh, I got back into to work, and 
eight, there was 18 months of really hard work, actually, of undoing all of the wrong thinking and rewiring my brain, really, relearning the right way to think and learning the truth of what God says about us against the lies that I believed, that I was evil and dirty and broken and useless and a stain on the world. Learning the truth that actually I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that God put me here, God created me, and that he has plans and a purpose for me. It's um, amazing the title that you've chosen, Why Am I Still Alive? And I think we begin to see just how much that, that means and how much that resonates. What would you say, Val, to anyone here or maybe we've got loved ones or friends who are in that kind of pit that you were in, uh, the pit that the psalmist describes, that sort of entanglement and feeling that you don't want to live. What would you say to them? And just quite simply don't believe the lies. And I know that sounds really... Th th there are many paths that lead into that pit and there are many experiences that people go through that lead into that pit. Um, but don't believe the lies. God can use anything that we've been through. Um, what the devil means for harm, God uses for good. I wrote all of these truths on post-it notes. <laughs> And I put them everywhere in the flat where I thought I'd go regularly, the kettle, the biscuit tin, the mirror, where I brush my teeth. And medication has its place. I stayed on medication for 18 months. I, I did come off all the medication that I was on, but I didn't just go, woohoo, I'm a Christian, that's it, I'm going to stop it all now. It took 18 months of re reprogramming almost it was the, my, my thinking. And I came down off the medication and I got help and I got help from Christian counsellors and Christian support and I went to life groups and support groups and I went to church and I studied my Bible. And that was my journey out of it. it God does sometimes heal supernaturally in an instant and in a moment, but with me, it felt like he'd, he healed my broken heart and my bruised spirit and my shattered brain. And the physical healing came. The healing started inside first. And it was when the healing of knowing the truth of who I am in him. That good, good father song, I am loved by God, that's who I am. My, our identity is not in who we were or what we've been through. For so long, I was labeled as a survivor, a victim, a nutter, a this, a just... It was the labels were things that I'd been through. They weren't who I am. And the only label that matters to me now is that I'm loved by God. And that the truth of that, that's where my identity is. My identity isn't in my experiences. It's in who I am in God. And I would say that to anybody who's had any experience like that that make you feel that that's your identity. That, that And the world speaks it over us. The world tells us that's who we are. And it's not who you are. You are not a victim. You may well be a survivor, but you're more than that. You are a child of God. You are loved by God and forgiven by him. And that's your identity. And that's the truth of who you are. And everything else flows out of that.
Amazing. And just finally, Val, um, the verse that you've chosen, I wonder if we can have that back up on the screen, uh, the John 10, 10 verse that I know is one of your favourites, one of my favourites as well. Um, why have you chosen, I think we can probably see, but you, you uh, said why you've chosen this particular verse today. I love this amplified uh, version. I know that it's not everyone's favourite, but I, it's the thief comes only, only. This is his only purpose, to steal and kill and destroy. And he nearly did that to me. But Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus came that I can have and enjoy life. So it's not just an existence. It's not just getting up, plodding through the day, fighting for every breath and just, oh gosh. It's have and enjoy life in abundance, to the full, till it overflows. I just love that idea of God just pouring out life on us so that it overflows. And the reason that it overflows is so that it can then overflow to others. So we're not, it's that idea of not being vessels, it's being channels, isn't it? And this verse just says, that was the past. The thief came and tried to steal and kill and destroy me. But then Jesus came and he's given me life and teach, taught me to enjoy life and have it in abundance. So it just, it's, every, it's in a nutshell, really. I could have just said that and sat down. Well, we're very glad you didn't because uh, I, I'm always blown away. I've heard Val's story a few times now and she's uh, come around the country sharing it a little bit and uh, I'm always so impacted on not only the courage that Val shows but actually the impact that it has on those who are privileged to hear your story. And I know it's ongoing. I know uh, that uh, there's mystery in all of our lives but just to see you, the woman that you are today, is incredible. So shall we just thank Val so much? Uh, for sharing so beautifully. Yeah. Thank you.